Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before you grateful for the gifts you give to us, grateful for the opportunity to be here in your house, grateful, God, that uh, you can use sinners like us to bring others to know you, the one who welcomes sinners into your home. We ask this now through Christ our Lord. Amen. Great to see you here today. I'm Ed Glaze, one of the pastors here at Boone United Methodist Church, and honored to be here on this rainy day. Thank you for coming out in the rain. Of course, you uh, Methodists are just feeling like you're getting baptized again, getting sprinkled. By. I, get, I, I get that. Uh, glad you're, you came out, and, and thank you for um, those who are going to stay afterwards to help unload. I know it's maybe messy, but uh, Denise Stanley tells me that it never rains uh, during the unloading of the bazaar. So, Denise, a lot of pressure on you. Uh, right. Have, she told me just have faith. Okay, I'm going to have faith. But we also welcome those who are tuning in online. We appreciate you uh, being with us. We know that's a ministry that our congregation and others, too, are uh, able to offer to you. I was talking to somebody just yesterday, and they said they're so appreciative that uh, we offer this to people who maybe can't make it out. And so we're grateful for you uh, tuning in. Before I read the scripture text, let me just set this up by saying that there is a epidemic in our society, and indeed in most of Western civilization, that the church has the cure for. There is an epidemic that is going on right now in lots of civilized countries, lots of societies in the Western world that the church has a cure for. Now, some might say that, you know, the church, obviously the church has a cure for, for sinfulness, and yes, we do, and also we have the cure for the desire to live beyond this life, but the epidemic that I'm talking about has reached the ears of the secular press and, and governmental agencies around uh, the world. It is something that people are literally dying of, and it's not COVID-19, it's loneliness. It's loneliness. Nicholas Kirchhoff, in an editorial not too long ago, said that loneliness sucks out the life of a soul. But it's not only that, it, it, it kills the body. It literally can lead to strokes, heart attacks, inflammation, and suicide. He then goes on to state that there are countries around the world that are establishing agencies to deal with this epidemic. The United Kingdom has established a ministry for loneliness. Other countries are following suit. Cigna Health did a survey not too long ago, and they said that 58% of American adults claim that they are lonely claim that they are lonely. The Surgeon General said loneliness is as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's as dangerous as drinking six alcoholic beverages each night. It is something that is literally killing millions of people. 58% of Americans say that they're lonely. And it's interesting in this statistic that the younger you are, the more lonely you are. That doesn't make sense, does it? You know, it doesn't make sense. 79% of the, of the people that are 35 and younger say that they are lonely. 
while only 41% of those of you all that are old, not me, uh, but that they're, that they're getting old are saying uh, that they're lonely. What, what's the deal on that? Well, remember what I said, the church has the antidote for loneliness. And as younger generations are fleeing from organized religion, leaving the institution that has the antidote for this epidemic, because we at our best are a community of love and acceptance and forgiveness, is it any wonder that our younger people are dealing with loneliness? Wow. Yes, we are in a crisis in our world. There's an epidemic called loneliness. So let's see how this scripture text, where as we continue to look at the life of Peter, might give us a clue how we, the church, uh, can offer this antidote to loneliness, how we are the antidote if we live out what we're talking about here today. Here now the word of the Lord is found in the good news according to John, starting with, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 21. After these sayings, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way, gather there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples there together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they're not able to haul it in because there's so many fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Then Simon heard that it was the Lord. He put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. The other disciples came to the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with the fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the nets were not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Second time he said, to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then I'm going to go on a little beyond what's on the, on the screen here. Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, you used to fasten your belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take her where you did not wish to go. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me turn off my alarm to pray that praying for a revival. Yeah, last week Peter 
was with Jesus. You heard Patty talking about that. And Peter made this great proclamation that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And, and as Patty said, he was able to make that proclamation because he had spent so much time with Jesus. So let us go from that point in the story there at Caesarea Philippi to where we are now after the resurrection. Let, let's just go quickly through that because we are quickly racing to the life of Peter. I mean, we could do a, a long, long series on Peter, but we're just these few weeks in September. So after that, after that, Peter takes part in the ministry of Jesus. They travel together. They head down from, up from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and there they're proclaiming the Word of God. We see that, that Peter and the disciples are healing people. They're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. They're seeing all sorts of miracles happen. Things are going great. And then to the triumphal entry there in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, Peter's there leading the crowds, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Everyone's all excited because here comes Jesus in, and, and Peter's one of these disciples, and they're going to take over. And things are going to be great, right? Right. And then there's Holy Week. And things begin to take a turn for the worse. You know, Jesus' first thing he does is get everyone upset at the temple by, by turning over the tables and, and chasing out all the money changers and the, the religious leaders. And things begin to get stirred up. And then we know that on the night before Jesus died, he gathers them there in the upper room. And, and the story is told in several different ways, but one of the things that happens is that Jesus washes the disciples' feet, even Peter. And Peter says, no, no, Lord, this isn't for me. I should be washing your feet. And then at dinner, Jesus makes this great proclamation. He says this, he said, one of y'all will betray me. One of y'all is going to betray me. And everyone says, not I, not I. And Peter, so bold, said, hey, all these guys may betray you. All these other fellows may leave you. But I'm going to stay with you no matter what, Jesus, even if I should die. And then Jesus predicts, Peter, before the rooster crows three times tomorrow, you're going to deny me. You deny that I, you even know me. And Peter said, no, that ain't going to happen. Well, they leave dinner. They go to the garden where, indeed, here come the soldiers to arrest Jesus. And we hear in one of the Gospels that it is Peter that jumps out with a sword to defend his master. And he chops off the ear of one of the soldiers. And, and Jesus says, none of this. Stop that. And he, Jesus heals the man's ear. And Peter's Lord and master is let off with ropes tied around him, and all the disciples flee. Every one of them runs away. We don't know what happens to them. We don't know what happens to those other disciples. Except, well, we know what happens to Judas. But we do know also what happens with Peter. He slunks around, follows after Jesus in the crowd. He ends up in the courtyard of the high priest, and there, gathered around a charcoal fire, while he's warming himself, He's being accused several times. Hey, you, you have that Yankee accent from Galilee. You must be one of the followers of Jesus. And he says, no, it's not me. And again, they accuse him of being a follower of Jesus. And no, it's not me. A third time, there around the charcoal fire, he's accused of being a follower of Jesus. And he utters curses down upon himself. I do not know that rascal. 
And then Luke's telling of the story because all the Gospels tell of Peter's failure. This one who's the leader of the church later on. All of them talk about that. And Luke's telling, as a cock crows, Jesus' eyes meets Peter's. And Peter runs away weeping with full of remorse for what he has done. Now, we know what happens next. Jesus is taken to Pilate and he's convicted and sentenced to death and there he is crucified. All the disciples are in hiding except for John. And Peter's off by himself. Now, if this were the end of the story, if this was all that we knew about Jesus, we wouldn't be talking about Peter right now, would we? If, if there had been no resurrection from the dead, not only would there be no more story about Jesus, there wouldn't be any story about, well, his name would probably be Simon. He may have gone back to be a fisherman back up in Galilee, going back to his old life. Or because he was associated with this heinous criminal Jesus. He might have fled off and gone to a different country. Either way, he would have gone with this remorse that his last act with this Jesus was to deny him and living with that regret for the rest of his life. But we know that's not the end of the story, is it? There was a resurrection There was new life given to the body of Jesus. And therefore, there's new life and new hope given to all the disciples and even Peter, especially Peter. There's different accounts of the resurrection for Jesus, but they seem to hint at that after the resurrection, Peter is by himself. In Mark's gospel, the angel says to the women, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter, like Peter is off from the disciples, that he's no longer there in the fellowship. Luke gives us a little bit of a hint of this because it, it, it says that Peter has seen the Lord all by himself, like he was away somewhere, hidden because he was so ashamed. And the earliest account of the resurrection comes not from the Gospels. It comes from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the 15th chapter, because remember, Paul's letters were written before the Gospels. And in that, he says, and the Lord appeared first to Cephas, Peter, then to the disciples, making it sound like that Peter was off on his own, that he, because of his shame, could not be with the fellowship anymore. Wow. But then there's a resurrection. And so here in this account, we start off by saying that they went fishing and they were all together. They were all together. What a powerful line. They were all together because somehow the fellowship of the church, this fellowship of the resurrection brings us all together, saint and sinner, you see are sitting in the same pew, being brought forth together. They're all together fishing. And that's what we are about, isn't it? That we welcome those who are broken, those who are hurting, those who have failed, those who feel down and out. That is the nature of 
the fellowship of those who have experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For we know that he was one that ate with sinners and welcomed those who were downcast and broken. The nature of the church is this, that we offer that balm in Gilead that the praise band sang so beautifully. That balm that, what? Heals the sin-sick soul. Yes, there is a balm in the fellowship of the church that makes the wounded whole. We are together, you see. Both those who think they are worthy and those who think they are not. In reality, we are all unworthy, right? But what's happened? Why are so many of our young people fleeing from the church? Maybe it's because we haven't given that impression that all are welcome, all may come. That's an impression that don't have to be young to, to think about or to, to perceive about the church. One of the small towns that I, I served in, we had a seminar for all the churches that were in the area. It was a, it was a great ecumenical gathering to prevent teen suicide. And we gathered with the, the youth in one part and the, the parents were in another. And we're talking about how the church could help with this. How could we help people who are despondent? And, and one lady said, you know, well, when my son took his own life, the church was the last place I wanted to go because I felt like I was going to be judged for something that I had done wrong that caused my son to do this. Another lady chimed in. She said, you know, when... This, a, a little small town that I'm from, not too far away from this other town I was serving in. She said, when my brother got arrested, the church was the last place we wanted to go back to. How did we get that reputation? How did we get that reputation? And that is the way we are perceived. It's one of the number one indictments against the church is that well, you have to have your act together before you get here. I bet if we had a confession that not one person in here has their act together. And if you think you do, you're lying. Thank God that first group of disciples said, Peter, you're welcome. We're in the community of the resurrection here. Let's all go fishing together. Let's go fishing together. So they do. They're, they're out there fishing. And it's an interesting statement that Peter didn't have his clothes on. You know, he, he, he's out there fishing naked. Now, it reminds me of a time when uh, we were fishing in the Choctahatchee Bay and in, in northwest Florida. It's a beautiful bay. You could go fishing there. And, and we were told that, uh, you know, the weather might act up. And we asked the boat captain, uh, what about, you have fishing, I mean, you have rain gear. He said, yeah, we, I do. Don't worry about it. And so we went out there. Is a, you know, boat about four or five of us. And it starts to rain. And we said, and I hope we don't have to do this for the bazaar uh, unloading. He said, well, what do we do? Where's the fishing? Where's the, uh, the rain gear? So we can continue to fish. He said, Take your clothes off and put them under the bucket and let's continue to fish. <laughs> Rosie, we're not doing that today. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So they, they're out there fishing without any clothes on, you know? And they're casting the net out there all night long fishing, not catching a thing. And they hear a guy from the shoreline, hey, boys, have you caught any fish? I mean, isn't that a bad, bad line if you're out there fishing and you've been fishing all day or all night and someone says, caught anything? Uh, no, I hadn't caught a thing. And he said, well, you're fishing with the wrong hand. <laughs> Start casting with the other hand. And, of course, they catch lots of fish. So many fish that they can hardly haul them into the boat. And, and John says, it's the Lord. And Peter is so excited that he puts his clothes on, hops into the water, and goes to see Jesus. And the other disciples are left there hauling in the net. 153 fish. My, that's a lot of fish. And where does Peter encounter Jesus? Where's, where, where does the scene, how's the scene described? There is a charcoal fire there. Now, when was the last time we heard about a charcoal fire in this life of Peter? Any, anybody, did anyone listen? We did not, Bible scholars, thank you very much. You, you get $5 off your first shopping item at the bazaar. Yeah. Yeah, around the charcoal fire. Remember the charcoal fire earlier in the, in the text? What I was just reading to you or talking to you about is around the charcoal fire that Peter had denied Jesus three times. And here's Jesus welcoming Peter back to that place at the charcoal fire. It appears, anyway, that when we are at our weakest, that's where Jesus meets us. When our failure is the greatest, that's where he comes to. When we need his strength the most, there he is lifting us up. At that charcoal fire, that place where Peter had earlier had denied Jesus, Jesus welcomed him. Wow. And there, waiting for, waiting for uh, Peter and all the disciples, is breakfast. There's bread that had been cooked, and there's some fish that had been fried. It seems that this meal is like the sacrament. For our gospel writers will tell us that, or hint at us, that whenever you hear about bread being broken, that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken. It's a bread that's broken that reminds us that you are welcome here to this place. This meal is here for you. And when we have a meal together, we're with people that the barriers are broken down. And friendships are established or restored. In fact, the word companion, in our English word companion, comes from the root word to break bread with. So here's Jesus, breaking bread with this one who had denied him three times. But also, I would say he is welcoming and, and ministering to all those disciples. Because remember, except for John, they all left. Here he is in the greatest hour of need. Every disciple psh, flees. And Jesus is showing them by the breaking of this bread and giving this fish, acting as the dutiful servant, acting as the one who is preparing a meal for them that, no, it's all right. I'm your friend. Welcome to the table, all of you.
Because you see these disciples, even though they had seen the resurrected Christ twice, according to what John has said, they still need reassurance. They still needed this comforting presence. Is this, is this real? Is this, this is really happening? Because if you'll remember last September, can you remember that long, long ago when we were talking about the Great Commission? The very first thing that we said that Jesus gathered them there on the mountain in, in Galilee. He's alive before them. Some worshiped, but some doubted. I mean, here's a living Jesus. They couldn't believe their eyes. And yet, here's Jesus now at this breakfast table, offering them signs and symbols of that he is there with them and that they are welcome and that their brokenness can be made healthy and whole. That's what breaking bread together does. We welcome friends. That's what happens every time we share in the sacrament together. We're reminded that we're welcome by the Savior who gave his life for us. The fellowship meal is a time for us to welcome sinners home. In a small community in Alabama, there's a story told about this boy named Charlie who grew up in this small little United Methodist Church out there in the country. And when he went off to school, uh, well, things didn't go too well. He decided to major in everything but school, so he got himself into a little trouble, and uh, he felt too bad about going home. He'd wasted his parents' money, so he started to do some things and hang around some people he shouldn't have got hung around with, and one thing led to another. Next thing you know, Charlie's incarcerated, and he's put in prison. Well, when he's let out of jail, when his sentence is served, he really didn't have anywhere else to go except back home to that little rural Alabama community. And so he goes home, and his parents are getting older now, but he moves in with his parents after being in jail for a while. And his dad says, my house, my rules, you're going to go to church with us. And Charlie said, that's the last place I want to go. And he said, no, you're going. Well, the first Sunday came, and Charlie hemmed and hawed about going back to church. And his mama came into the room and said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Meet us there. So he hesitantly got dressed, drove in his car, and out beside the cross and flame sign was a sign that said, welcome home, Charlie. And meeting him there, wasn't his parents, but was the old lay leader of the church. He said, come on, Charlie, let's go downstairs before we go to church. And went down into the little fellowship hall of that white frame church. And there was breakfast. Biscuits and tomato gravy and Koneka sausage and donuts and coffee and juice and cheese grits. And Charlie had tears rolling down his cheeks. And they shared in a meal that welcomed Charlie home and reunited him with his family. And I tell you, those biscuits smelled a whole like some bread that was fried up on a charcoal fire there by the Sea of Galilee. And the old country preachers said, let's go to church now. And there on the table was the sacrament. Bread that was broken, a cup of salvation to be poured out. 
that welcomed a sinner home. Well, sinners, you're welcome, all of you, to the table of fellowship, to come and dine with Jesus. You're welcome, as Charlie was, as was Peter. All are welcome on the come. But there's one other thing we need to talk about. Is that when uh, Peter had breakfast, Jesus said, you know, there's some things we've got to tend to, Peter. And that's the way it is in our own life. I mean, we, we come, yeah, and are welcomed. But we also got to know that, well, we, we have to do things a little differently. And it's interesting to note that everything that Jesus said to Peter led him into community. You know, you, Peter, are to tend sheep, feed sheep, tend and feed lambs. That says the nature of what you're about and the nature of what we're all about is about community. It's about us being together, Peter. It's about you and us, not being just me and Jesus. It's about all of us together, Peter. And so, Peter, to show that you love me, be with my people. You know, there's a misnomer out there, and that's one of the things that's hurtful in our society is that you can do Christianity by yourself. You can't. We're called together to be a part of a fellowship called the church, lived together. And yeah, sometimes it's messy. And sometimes it is hard. But as Richard Rohr says, the, the dream of God is this, that we create a community that cares about each other. And sometimes that care, as it said there at the end of the verses I read about Peter, will take you to places that you would not ordinarily go, or maybe not want to go, to do some things that you wouldn't do unless you were a part of that community led by this Jesus to Ten lambs feed sheep, tend to sheep, and feed the sheep. Lead you to do some things that you wouldn't ordinarily do, like unload a truck in the rain in a red shirt after church today. It may take you to places like a nursing home to see someone like Oscar who is on his way to heaven. It may lead you to go downstairs and volunteer with children's Sunday school. It may make you help chaperone a youth group. It may, it may lead you out into the community to volunteer with Western Youth Network or when in God's good time we have an after-school program here to tutor some of the kids that will be here after school in this very building your hands may be bound by the heartstrings that you uh, of someone else to lead you to make a phone call to someone who's broken or hurting. It may lead you to write a note to someone with whom you need to make amends. But whatever it is, we're in this together, and we cannot do it by ourselves. And it will take us sometimes to places we thought we would never, ever go. But it's in that community that we overcome the epidemic of our time.
great example of that happened here in this church. Stan and Carrie's story joined back in June. And they told the story about how they met that um, Carrie's last name her maiden name was Canada, so Stan said, I literally married Miss Canada. I thought that was kind of funny. Well, her, her dad had serious surgery a few months ago, and they went off to uh, Indiana to be with, with uh, her dad, Mr. Canada, and, and Stan wrote me and said this. He said, you know, here I am, here we are in this new church family, and we literally got 30 to 40 phone calls emails and text messages from the FUNN Sunday school class, members of the church, people they barely even knew, and said that greatly impressed our family, impressed us. That's community, y'all. That's what it's all about. And the church at its best, the church at its best is the cure for loneliness. And if you're not a part of a small group or Sunday school class, if you're not taking time to be with somebody in the church on an intimate basis, well, talk to one of us. We'll help you. For those of you who are 35-ish and younger, you know, people like me, um, <laughs> there, there, there is a new Sunday school class forming on October 8th, and William and Sarah Northington are starting it, a place where there'll be community, a fellowship for those folks that I just talked about who are feeling more lonely than ever. So friends, the cure for our epidemic is sitting in the pews right next to you. And so I'm gonna ask us to do something even though we are almost running late. I want you to take time to tell two to three people that are sitting nearby you that I'm glad you're here and you're welcome here no matter what. Do that right now. I mean, do, do, show that you're awake. Elbow somebody and wake them up and then tell them that. And if you're looking in online, text somebody. Say hi to someone there in your house. I'm glad you're here and you're welcome here no matter what. The holy hubbub is wonderful to see for sure. I'm glad you're here. Good to see you. You're welcome no matter what. That's a way to get hugs too. We, you know, I'm told you need 13 hugs a day, so maybe you got some of those. Yeah, you're welcome here no matter what. Because we are a community of the resurrection of Jesus who welcomes everybody into his embrace. May we, this church, in this time, in this place, in this locale, truly be the cure for the epidemic of our time. Who knows, we might save a life. That life may even be yours. Let's pray. We come before you, God, knowing that Jesus came Yes, to forgive us of our sins, to die so that we might have hope of life that's abundantly eternal to raise from the 
dead so that uh, we have hope for the future, but God, we also know that he came to form a community of love and acceptance of everybody. So help us, Lord, to model those words that they were there together. And may we, as we live life together, embrace one another, particularly those who are downtrodden, who are broken, who are hurting. In so many ways, that's all of us. So God, may we learn to embrace each other because in doing so, we are offering the embrace of Jesus, which we all need right now. Now, Father, as we uh, go out into the world, may we truly know the fact that you're with us. Because you're with us, you compel us to love as Jesus loved. All this we ask, and through him.